Good morning again, everyone. It's good to have you all here. I am not Jennifer Ogden, but that's Jennifer Ogden. I want to start again because some of you might not have been here on time for the, the welcome this morning. Jennifer Ogden, new senior pastor here officially, and I am so excited. Is good to have you here. It's good to have all of you here as well. And I want to say that there's like a VIP section, but if there was, it would be over there. So, you know, Connie's right there. So this is, this is good. Those are all the people that should be in the VIP section. We have made it to the end of a nine-week series. We've done the book of Colossians, all four chapters by the end of today's sermon in all nine weeks. And uh, it's, been, it's been a challenge I know we've had a lot of different speakers. Tony got up here last week and, and took a really hefty chunk out of a really difficult topic and found a way to make it applicable for all of us. And we've tried to find our way through it. We've tried to find personally, like my way through it as a, as a preacher, as a husband, as a man, as all of these different forms of, of my Christianity. We've tried to do it as a church, tried to figure out what this means for us, who Paul is talking to, whether or not it applies, and how we can... We can work that into our lives. And now we find this, this conclusion. We find this ending point where Paul starts to wrap it up. And he starts to um, say goodbye to some friends. Uh, as Kevin read, this idea of, uh, you know, what it, what it means to actually do this thing that he's been talking about for a couple of, couple of chapters. And one of the hardest parts for a lot of us is Paul's not an Adventist. And I know I've said that up here before. Tony kind of reiterated that point last week. Um, which means it's really hard to talk about Adventisty things. As a matter of fact, Paul often goes uh, anti-Adventist in some ways, where he talks about you know, the function and usefulness of the Sabbath. And uh, I have some good news for you. Those of you who have been waiting for Paul to finally straighten up and accept the Lord Jesus Christ and Ellen White as his, his guidance... We are finally here to talk about the health message and the Sabbath. I really thought there was going to be like a resounding amen for that. Based on the amount of email that has come to me about how I'm not talking about this, we finally get to talk about the health message and the Sabbath. Oh, yeah, all right. I feel like I've conditioned you out of Adventism, so I'm going to get fired at the end of this one. That's fantastic. But I will say this. We are going to talk about the health message, and we are going to talk about the Sabbath, but it will not be in the way you probably expect. But that doesn't mean we're not going to cover it, and it doesn't mean that it's not important, and it doesn't mean that uh, Paul doesn't find a way for us to understand through it. But here's the reality. We've gone through all four chapters, and one of the biggest things that I've gotten back from a lot of you is... This is all well and good, but honestly, how does this apply to me? And we've done our best to try and make it applicable, but you can only go where the text will allow you to go. And this week, Paul finally gets to a place where, okay, if you really want, like, nuts and bolts, here's what you need to do, Paul covers it. And I'm going to walk you through it the way it makes sense to me, the way I think that Paul is trying to give it to us, and the way that could be applicable just across the board. And so I'm going to walk you through uh, what I'm going to call four easy steps to Christian living. 
and I'm going to do it through Paul's eyes. And in order to do it, we'll have to go back through what Kevin uh, just so wonderfully read. Thank you again, Kevin. That was, that was phenomenal. I'm going, to, I'm going to read this again. It'll be on the screen for you as well. It says, continue steadfastly in prayer, being watchful in it with thanksgiving. Walk in wisdom toward outsiders, making the best use of the time. Let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how you ought to answer each person. I just read you chapter 4, verse 2, and then I jumped to verses 5 and 6. So if you were reading along, there was a gap in there. I took it out simply because there's some stuff I want to cover with more intention, and then we'll leave some other stuff as we go through. But the pieces of the puzzle that really start to come into this idea of, you know, these four steps of Christian living, at least according to Paul, I'm going to go through all of them at first so you'll see what they are. And then I'll go back and we'll study them in detail. But step one is this. Get yourself a bucket full of pink polka-dotted golf balls. Nope, sorry. That was, that was last week. Never mind. Step one. If you missed that one, uh, you should watch the archive videos and go back and enjoy all of it. Because Tony's message last week was phenomenal. And I was as angry as he said I was going to be listening to his story. I gotta come up with my own story, and I'm just gonna tell it to Tony, and then I'll tell you what I told him, and then we can all laugh at him, and then we can have that moment that he had with us for him. Fair enough? Good. Step one, Paul says, guide to Christian living is pray with thanksgiving. Step two, conduct yourself wisely. Step three, speak graciously. And step four, listen for God's command. These are the four easy steps. If you are looking to change your life, if you want to apply the book of Colossians to your life, there are four steps. Those are it. Sound good? I mean, I could end there if we want to. We can just go home early. That's it. Just do those four things. Honestly, those are the four things that will fix everything. But because I already promised and I said I was going to go over it in more detail, let, let's actually do that. So step one, pray with thanksgiving. In order to understand what Paul is talking about, we need to filter out what Paul is not talking about. So let me ask you this. Are you all familiar with the ACTS prayer, A-C-T-S prayer? Yeah? Anybody not familiar? Good. Matt. I'm going to go with Matt. Our sound guy has no idea what I'm talking about. And as long as he doesn't know what we're talking about, I'm going to fill him in. And the rest of you will, you know, just continue to sit quietly, not responding to anything I say. That would be super helpful. So the ACTS prayer is actually uh, an acronym. So A-C-T-S stands for a different thing. So when you are looking to change your uh, devotional life through prayer, you can actually follow the ACTS prayer, which is a method of Christian praying. And so the first one, is the A, stands for adoration. And adoration is defined as this. You take the characters, you take the names, or you take the attributes of God, and you pray those things. Does that make sense? I can give you an example. Within the book of Colossians, Paul actually does this for himself, and he does it in Colossians 1, and he does it throughout verses 15 through 20. Now, I'm going to take what you have. If you're reading along, you've got the the Bible in front of you. I'm going to remove some words and put some other words in, simply because Paul isn't intending to uh, make this a direct prayer within Scripture. But if you take the words he and himself, and you put words like you in there, it actually starts to work as a prayer. And so Paul is already praying a prayer of adoration, chapter 1, 
verses 15 through 20. It says this. It says, you are the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation, which is actually what Pastor Jen preached when she was here the last time. By you, all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things were created through you and for you. And you are before all things, and in all things you hold together. And yours is the head of the body, the church. You are the beginning, the firstborn, uh, from the, firstborn from the dead, that in everything you might be preeminent. For in you all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through you to reconcile yourself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of the cross." So if you've ever been looking for a way to pray your way through the Bible and you're wondering whether or not Colossians has a part of it, there you go. Chapter 1, verses 15 through 20. You can just simply pray a prayer adoring God for the things that God is. And that's all you're doing. And that might seem foreign to some people because you think to yourself, well, but that's not really a prayer. But it's the same way that I don't understand how poetry that doesn't rhyme somehow makes sense to people. Like, but that's not poetry. Like, you have to rhyme the word eagle. You can't just talk about a different bird in the next stanza and then somebody goes, you're uncultured, okay? It's spoken word, you don't get it, which I don't. It's the same thing here. That doesn't sound like a prayer. It's just me going, God, look at all the things that you're doing and you have done this and it isn't amazing the things that you've done, this name that we know you by. God, it is amazing the things that you are. That is prayer. And that might be something you want to create an exercise in as you go through a season of prayer and a season of devotion. One way to do it is through the Acts prayer, adoration. Just giving God the glory for the things that he is and the things that he represents. And the next letter, letter C, which is confession, which is understood to be the humility and humbleness that you need to portray in order to be cleansed of sin. If you want an example of this, we've sung the song a few times here. Uh, we, we aren't singing it here today, but that's all right. I'm going to give you the lyrics. If you remember, we've sung a, a song here together by Hillsong United. Uh, the song is As You Find Me. And the lyrics have been, I have been strong and I have been broken within a moment. I've been faithful and I've been reckless at every bend. I've held everything together and watched it shatter. I've stood tall and I have crumbled in the same breath. I have wrestled and I have trembled toward surrender, chased my heart adrift and drifted home again, plundered blessing till I've been desperate to find redemption, and every time I turn around, Lord, you're still there. A prayer of confession, not only through scripture, but you can do it through music. Sometimes you are singing a song and you are actually doing something. If you're participating in it, you're singing the words, even if you don't know that you're doing it, that song in that section for those verses is actually an act of confession. And so you can pray not only through your Bible, you can pray through our song service here. That is the C, the acts of confession. And then we have thanksgiving, which I, like I said, Paul is pointing us towards when you pray, pray with thanksgiving. And you can see this again. Paul does this in Colossians as well. You turn your attention to Colossians chapter 1, Verses 3 and 4 says this, We thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you, since we heard of the faith in Christ Jesus and the love you have for the saints because of the hope laid up for you in heaven. A prayer of thanksgiving is remembering all that God has done in celebration of his faithfulness. So there are things that God has done for you. In this case, Paul finds himself in a prison 
and he is praying for these people, basically saying, hey, I heard about you. I heard all the good things you're doing. Ever since I heard about that, I've been thanking God for you. It's not anything other than that. It is just saying, God, here's a list of things. Jen started us out beautifully this morning with a brand new welcome, this idea of who is welcome here. The fact that those people are here, the fact that those people could be here is a reason for us, at least as a pastoral staff, to finish this service out by saying, God, thank you for whoever is here. And the fact that those people feel welcomed because of your spirit, that's what we're here to thank you for. And then that's it. You stop there. It's just a prayer of thanksgiving. The last one, which is S, which is a prayer of supplication, which is a word I know you all use constantly, right? Supplication. It's basically a fancy word for intercession, which is if you are praying a prayer of supplication, you are participating in an intercessory way. I was going to say intercessorarily, but that is certainly not a word. But I think you would understand if I were to say it. Uh, you're participating in the plans and purpose of God for the world. That's saying praying for your friends, praying for your family, praying for complete strangers, and you are finding a way to do that as intercessors towards God, which maybe intercessors isn't a word that you use very often either, almost probably as often as you use supplication. But it's the idea that, let's say somebody doesn't know somebody that is connected to God, and this is not like, I don't want you to take from this that, because I know God and somebody else doesn't, I'm allowed to talk to God and that person doesn't. But my understanding is they're not talking to God, so I talk to God on their behalf. God, I want to pray this morning specifically for da 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 Sandy prayed for the brothers, for the sisters, right? This idea of the family. Sometimes we get along, sometimes we don't. And this is that... It does not matter, God, I am praying on behalf of this family regardless. When you are praying through the uh, Acts, Acts prayer, if you're just praying in supplication, you're simply praying for someone else. And you do these things individually. Now, often we smash them up, and it's just like, hey, good morning, God. It's so good to you know, have you in my life. And there's your adoration. Like, I, man, I really wish I would have done my devotions yesterday, but I didn't. That's my bad confession. And then that turns into, I just want to say thanks. Like I woke up this morning and that's, that's super cool. I'm really glad to be a part of today. And I, I tossed and turned all, all night last night. I was thinking about so-and-so. And I just want to make sure I pray for that person today. If you're, if you're going throughout your day, that's what a normal prayer can sound like. But Paul is saying you take all of these individual things and the most important one, the one that you should be concentrating on the most is pray with thanksgiving. So if you skip adoration, if you skip confession, and you don't pray on behalf of other people, the thing you should be doing is praying with thanksgiving. And so step one of all of this is just find something to be thankful for, look around your life, look around the room, and think to yourself, I'm really glad that thing is here. I'm really glad that person is here. I'm really glad that thing happened. And then you pray that prayer to God. God, thank you for the following. Step one to Christian living according to Paul is pray with thanksgiving. It says here in Corinthians, uh, Colossians, Colossians 1, uh, verses 9 and 10, you get a really good look at this prayer of supplication. And so now from, from the day we heard, this is later on in that section, so they've heard twice now. And so from the day we heard, we have not ceased to pray for you 
asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will and all the spiritual wisdom and understanding so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. Again, the most important part is the thanksgiving. But step two, conduct yourself wisely. Let me plug something really quick. You're here this week and that's great, but I'm inviting you to church next week because at the end of one series, means the beginning of the next one. And the poster you see here is the start of uh, the Wisdom That Works series, which I don't know where we found that photo of that kid, but I love that. I just love this idea of a little kid trying to figure out how to make this work, rocking that bow tie. I am super excited for that. That's going to be a 10-week series, 10 weeks to go through six chapters of Proverbs. There's more Proverbs to come, but for this one, we're going to cut six chapters into 10 different weeks of lessons, of understandings, of breakdowns. So this idea of what it means to conduct yourself wisely, I'm gonna give you a piece of it from Paul's perspective, but come back next week and for the next 10 weeks as we study out this idea of wisdom, it's, it's not something you're just gonna pick up. Like you can just be like, hey Tony, here's, here's how to do it. And he's like, oh cool, I'm wise now, which that'd be awesome. I wish we could do that, but I don't have the power to do that and Paul doesn't really give us the rubric to find it. But come back because we're gonna keep talking about this wisdom. But wisdom is understanding in like these uh, colloquialisms that we, we pass around. So the understanding is, have you heard this before, that wisdom is uh, knowing that or understanding that a tomato is a fruit? You've all heard this before? That's what knowledge is. Knowledge is understanding tomatoes are fruit. Wisdom is knowing not to put it in a fruit salad. All right? There's the difference. You can know something, you can have something in your head and think, I know how to do this, but even though it's factually evident, you have to know when to apply that knowledge, and knowing when to apply it is where the wisdom comes in. In this case, Paul does something incredible, and I wanna stop for a second to really take a look at scripture and understand what Paul is doing here. Paul is in prison. Let's not forget this. Paul is shackled to a wall in a dungeon so he does not have any natural light coming into this cell. Whatever light is there is from the torches that they have down in the basement. That's where he's being held. And this guy, stuck in prison, starts to basically ask for stuff at the end of Colossians. So if you read Colossians chapter 4, verse 3, it says this, At the same time, pray for us that the Lord may open to us a door. Now think about it, just for a second, don't go any further. If you're in prison, which door do you wish would pray itself open? The one right in front of you. Paul seems like a smart guy, he should be able to figure this out. He can ask for anything. Hey guys, I would really love if you prayed for this lock to suddenly shatter, for the guards to all fall asleep at the same time. If you could do that, that would be awesome. And I would read through that and be like, that makes sense. Paul's smart for doing that. Why not ask for it? Can't hurt. Instead, he talks about a different door. Paul is wise. Paul understands what is going on. He says, don't pray for this door to be open. Pray for a door to open for the word. This dude is in prison. He is not only making delicious fruit salad, he is teaching people about tomatoes in plants he's never seen before. And he's explaining to them the best news that can happen is not that I get out, but the good news gets out. The good word gets out. And so from prison, 
Paul has the wisdom to understand which doors to pray for. I don't know what that looks like for you. It's an analogy here. None of you are in prison right now, and if you are, um, just go ahead and raise your hand. One of our deacons will come by and introduce themselves and return you back to where you came from. Step three, speak graciously. This one seems maybe like the toughest one because he doesn't put any parameters on it. And when he does, he puts them in weird places. Paul has spent this entire chapter, again, going back to Pastor Jen with her welcome at the beginning, you know, this idea of how do we get to a place where we can welcome all of these people. And then you take uh, Pastor Tony's message from last week and this idea of if you're really going to talk about what it means to, to see the difference between a Greek and a Jew and then forget that you understand there's a difference, that's really tough when Paul later in this section, and this is my critique of Paul a little bit, Paul, Paul still uses the term outsiders, which seems to step on his own foot. Like, no, 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 we're all the same. There's no such thing as an insider or an outsider. But hey, you know, uh, speak graciously to the outsiders. I'm like, wait a second, I thought we were all the same. And I think, I think he is pointing to that. But I think there's also an inherent understanding of like, well, yeah, we're the same, but like the same, right? And Paul's trying to make sense of that for you. Say, you're going to have people you think to yourself like, that's not one of us. I can tell because of the, pick your favorite version. Like, well, they're wearing earrings. Or that, that skirt is way too short. Or he has too many tattoos. That's not an Adventist. And once you figure that out, then you start to put that person on the outside. Paul is saying when that happens, and inevitably it will, because we're all flawed people, when that happens, your job is to do one thing and one thing only, to speak graciously, which is super tough to do. So for the outsiders, for the insiders, we have to understand the identity between outsiders and everyone else, which Paul has made clear in previous section, there's no such thing, so there's no more verses there. So really, this becomes even harder because what Paul is really trying to say is that you should speak graciously to everyone. I mean, really think about that for a second. Try and apply that. Think of the one person you can't stand the most who has intentionally done you harm, said things behind your back. Paul has the audacity to say, when you speak to them, you speak to them graciously. And there's a difference here. And he goes on to say this, this term that's really important, this term of ought, which is, again, one of those words we got to bring back. We've got to start using the word ought more often because it's this idea, it's an indication. It's an indicator of a desirable or expected state. It's what ought to be. So the way we ought to talk to each other is with grace, but we don't, so we need reminders. We need to be told that even though it doesn't feel right and it doesn't seem fair, grace is, is the only option. And not only that, Paul doubles down and he comes at all of us. And I'm going to take this into a context that makes sense to all of us. How many of you have heard somebody use the term bless their heart? That's your like go-to, right? Where it's just like you hear about somebody and you're like, oh, did you hear about so-and-so? Well, I heard da-da-da-da-da-da. And it inevitably ends with, well, bless their heart. Which is like somehow you found a way to like stick a curse word in the middle of something that sounds nice because it basically means that person 
needs this blessing more than I need this blessing, or God bless them. It never means something good. It always means something bad. We always say it with that tone of voice. It, always, it almost comes out sarcastic, which is harder to pick up in like a southern drawl, but I think it's in there. I really do think it's all bless their heart. Like, it, it should come with an eye roll. Paul really talks about this because he says, he, he talks about this idea of what it means to speak with words that are seasoned with salt. And again, to bring this into a context that makes sense today, Paul is not talking about being salty. All right? Being salty is a bad thing. Seasoned with salt is a good thing. So this is not Paul basically saying like, well, it's all right for me to have that chip on my shoulder. Because they did that, bless their heart. That's not it. You have to speak graciously, which means every word that flies past your teeth has to somehow speak the grace of Jesus Christ into their life before anything else. And once you have spoken the grace of Jesus Christ, your mouth should close. Fair enough? Bless your hearts. Step four, listen for God's command. Paul does something that, if I'm not careful, I will categorize as Paul doing the opposite of what he just said he was going to do, which is Paul seems a little salty, and I want to bring your attention to Colossians chapter 4, verse 17. Kevin didn't read this because there's a bunch of names, and, you know, all of us would be stabbing in the dark how to pronounce those correctly. But he starts to talk about all of his friends, like, hey, so I'm wrapping this thing up. Say hi to so-and-so, and make sure you give so-and-so a high five. By the way, my friend so-and-so is coming by. He's cool. Let him in. And before I go, verse 17, Paul says this, and say to Archippus, see that you fulfill the ministry that you have received from the Lord. Now, if you read the rest of that section, the rest of it speaks highly of all the people. Everyone's super cool. I worked with this guy. He's great. If you need a recommendation, tell him that, you know, Paul says he's all right. And Archippus, ooh, Archippus, you know what you're supposed to be doing. You tell Archippus to get himself in gear. Really nice talking to you guys. So good to hear from you. Can't wait to hear from you soon. Hope to get out of prison. Smooches. Bye. Closes out with what feels like an idle threat. Everyone else gets a high five. Everybody's like, man, that was really good. Paul really, and then the record scratch. And this poor kid sitting in the room is like, he probably means a different archivist. <laughs> There's like another Jesus in the room. It's not the other Jesus. It's a different Jesus. He goes by Hustis. That's not me. But everybody in the room clearly turns around because what we know about this guy is that he lives in Colossae. So he, Paul basically sends a grenade in the mail and then he gets to the end and he was like, when you get to this part, pull the pin and throw it at that guy. And he catches it. And it's basically like, dude, if you don't get what you're supposed to get done, done, bye-bye. And there's Paul. We meet this guy twice in scripture. Twice. He is in the book of Colossians, he is in the book of Philemon. Chapter 1, verse 2. He is listed as a fellow soldier, which if I was him, I would love to be called like one of Paul's friends. I would not like to hear, by the way, get your homework done. 
we all know you're not doing it. But it does lend itself to Paul's final lesson. If we're going to understand what it means to live a Christian life, you better be willing to listen for God's command. And for Archippus, it comes true in Paul's letter. You need to fulfill the ministry that God has called you to. And that's it. Those are the four steps. And the reality is this. It, it's simple. It's really simple. And it's also a cycle. It's not just one thing, it's all four things. And if you think to yourself, but really, is that going to get me to the next step? I would say, try it. You've got this, you've got this breakdown here, uh, the slide that we've got here. So you've got, you've got pray with thanksgiving, and then you're going to conduct yourself wisely, and that leads itself to speaking graciously, and then you're listening for God's command. But here's the thing. If you're thinking to yourself, but how come I can't hear God's command? I've been sitting here. I've been waiting. I come to church every single week. I sit in the same pew just so God knows where I'm at. I don't move around. Shouldn't God be speaking? Well, if you're not hearing it, it's not necessarily because God isn't talking. But if you're looking for a way to get the route to speak to God and have God speak to you, start by praying with thanksgiving. Thanks God for, man, I'm not sure what yet, but I'm here and I showed up this morning and I'm thankful for that. And then from that, it's like, man, I do have a lot to be thankful for. And that might be a way for you to consider yourself a little bit more wise because somebody who might be unwise might think of all the things that are bad and walk around with a chip on your shoulder and speaking salty to other people. But instead, with that wisdom that you got from speaking to God about the things that you're thankful for, allows you to get to a place where you can actually speak graciously because you're already thinking about the things that you're thankful for. You're already living in a way that thinks like, is this what God would want from me? I'm not sure, but I sure am thankful that God's listening anyways. And then that allows me to say good things to other people. And then from that comes this message, and it might come from left field. But there's going to come a point where it's like, I'm calling you to this ministry, and I want you to fulfill it. And I'm not telling anybody else this. I'm just telling you. You have that moment of like, anybody else hear that? And you look around no one's looking at you and no one's looking to the sky. It's just you. Or you get that chill down your spine. And it's like, whoa, that was something I had prayed for. And it just happened. That was nuts. Did anybody else see that? Oh, because no one else is praying for it. It's just me. This must be God's conversation with me. So what do you do next? God has come with this command. Step one, recycle the process. Oh, God, thank you for that message. Thank you for that understanding. Thank you for that command. I am scared out of my mind. I have no idea how to do it. I hope nobody holds me accountable. Just don't show up to church where they're reading the letter out loud because that's where Paul gets you. Well, the question is this, can it be this easy? Is it really this easy to say, Paul can fix your entire life by these four easy steps? And I will say yes. It really is this easy. The problem is it's so easy that it becomes infinitely difficult under this condition. This is mere, nearly impossible if you try and do all of this on your own. Today's message is titled, Getting By With Help From My Friends. Paul starts to shout out all of his friends at the end. But the reality is this, Paul couldn't be where he's at without all of these people. Paul couldn't get access 
to the pen or to Timothy or the parchment or to the horse rider who's taking it from the prison in Rome all the way to the church in Colossae. He can't do it without Epaphras who came to him and gave him all the intel. He can't do it by himself. And the reality is this, all of those things are super difficult if you keep them to yourself. And I've done that for you. I've basically uh, taunted a lot of you at the beginning of my sermons, be like, yeah, you should send me email. And if you have questions or if you have comments or concerns, send them to me. I even got weird email about a sermon I didn't preach last week for some reason. I'm still trying to figure out how that happened. But the reality is this, ask and you shall receive. And I have received email of, I got to talk to you. I'm really struggling with this. Man, the darkness in my life, it creeps in heavy. And there was something about what Paul said, something about what you said in your sermon. I need help. And it wasn't just one, and it wasn't just last week, but last week seemed to be a big one where people said, that's me. I don't know how you knew it, but that's me. So let's talk. And so we did, and I have learned a ton from you about how difficult this can be if you try and do this on your own. And more often than not, the people that have come to me have said things like, this is the first time I'm telling anybody about this. So you've been sitting in the darkness for way too long, trying to be thankful, trying to find wisdom, trying to speak graciously, but finding nothing because you're in a dark room scrambling around. Somebody told me this this week, and I think there's brilliance in it that applies to this. It says, when we had this conversation with this person, sat down and talked about some heavy things, and at the end of it, I just said, hey, thank you. Thank you for taking this time to actually sit down with me and tell me your story. And their response was very simple, but incredibly poetic. He said, strength lies in vulnerability. Which means we're going to have to start telling people the things that we're trying to keep hidden. In order for us to be thankful about some things and to be wise, we're going to have to get to a place where we're being open and honest with each other. In a place that's you know, safe and with a person who's trustworthy. But strength lies in vulnerability. And I would double down with this. Strength grows with accountability. When you tell somebody what's going on, it's not just your burden to bear anymore. It's not just the one thing you carry away from the cross. Leave your burdens at the cross. Sometimes on your way back with empty hands, you're going to think to yourself, what do I do? Because I'm so used to carrying things. You're going to meet people along the way who are walking to the cross that you just left, and they might need a hand. And so basically saying like, hey, are you okay? Do you need anything from me today? Do you need any help? The answer very quickly can just be yes. I'm carrying this thing. I'm hoping to get to the cross so I don't have to carry it anymore. Well, thanks for telling me, man. I'd love to be able to help you with that. I just emptied my burden at the cross. I've got some time and some space. Let's walk through this thing together. And now you become accountable to that person. And here's your, here's your health message Paul really talks about the health message, but he tacks a word in front of it. It's not just the regular health message about, you know, eating special K loaf. In this case, it's the mental health message. Because your mental health helps with everything. And it helps you to understand why a diet might be important. But it also helps you with the things that are getting in the way of all of the other stuff. To cut through the darkness, you're going to need some light. On September 10th, just a few days ago, the world... Uh, observed World Suicide Prevention Day. A day designed to talk about the things that are the darkest. And with it came some facts, some things that might surprise you. 
The World Health Organization put out a statistic that said the, lead, the second leading cause of death for persons between the ages of 15 and 29 is suicide. 15 to 29, second leading cause of death. And they doubled down. If you want to put that into numbers, you want to put that into time, they say that in the world, someone commits suicide successfully every 40 seconds. And so we put a, a day aside and we observe this time to say, well, that shouldn't keep going. But the only way to figure out whether or not that thing is going to keep going is we're going to have to take a lesson from Paul, which is saying there is strength in vulnerability. There is strength and it grows in accountability. And so the World Health Organization created something called 40 seconds of action. If somebody commits suicide every 40 seconds and you have thoughts of suicide, if you have the ideations, if you have a plan, your job is to take 40 seconds and find somebody you trust and just tell them you need help. You don't have to tell the whole story. You're only talking for 40 seconds. And it can be as simple as, hey, um, man, things aren't going so well. It's been pretty dark lately. And I just thought I should let you know. Things change just like that, potentially. But it means we're going to have to be these sort of people who are willing to be thankful for the world, thankful for God, thankful for our life, to a place where we can actually be somewhere to hear somebody say these things and then have the wisdom to know what to do with it and then speak graciously to them knowing that no one else, nothing else is as gracious as this moment could be. And in that moment, there is a chance you will hear God's command for your life which is you are distinctly qualified in this moment to hear this person's story. And it only takes 40 seconds. Second leading cause of death is suicide between kids between the age of 15 and 29. And right now, the way we're helping is we're putting out this idea that has is, is gone uh, you know, viral, I guess, this, this phrase, which is, it's okay not to be okay. Have you heard this before? There's this stigma saying that like the health message, the mental health message and pretending like everything is fine is actually not okay and it's okay for you not to be okay, which is true. But I think Paul speaks some light into this story, which is it is okay for you not to be okay, but also you still aren't meant to live in the darkness. You are designed, you are meant to live in the light. And so just saying I'm living in the darkness is the first step to getting out of it. The goal is not to stay in it. The goal is not to live in it. The goal is to leave it. So I want to be clear about something really quick. I understand that what I'm saying may come off a different way. And I don't want people to interpret what I'm saying differently than what I'm trying to say. So I need to clarify something here. I don't want you to think that when I say to you, be thankful live wisely, speak graciously, wait for God's command, that somehow these are a contradiction if you are hurting and you need help. Those can still be the same thing. And I am not saying necessarily that doing these four steps will fix your depression. 
I don't know that to be true. But God works through all of us in different ways. And so it might be true for you, but there might be other steps that come along with it. But the reality is this. If you follow these steps, can you still talk about your depression? Can you tell somebody it's really dark in my head and hear the negative thoughts? Because I was told I'm supposed to be thankful for everything, and so I'm going to button it up, and I'm not going to say it because that's not thankfulness. I don't want you to hear that. Because the wisdom aspect of this is understanding that honesty is the best policy when it comes to your mental health. And just saying, I need some help is the wise thing to do. And because of it, you might later figure out why you're thankful. So it might not come in sequence. You might start on step two. But from that, you can cycle back around to thankfulness even if you don't feel thankful right now. Is that fair to say? I just want to make sure everybody hears that so that you don't hear that I'm... I'm a doctor who can somehow diagnose and answer to your, to your issues. I feel like I'm interpreting what Paul is saying in a way that might make sense, but the world has changed since then, and I don't want you to hear something other than that, thinking that, well, I can talk to everybody except for Jay because he just told me I had to do all these other things, and because I'm not ready, I can't do it. But your reality is this. Love, this identity of love, we've been singing about it all morning. Um, Love is both a truth and a feeling. And there's a difference between the two. And we have to understand the difference there. Paul is not talking about your feelings when he talks about these four steps. Being thankful is not a feeling. It's a, it's a fact. I am thankful for this whether I feel good about it or not. And in that wisdom, you might not feel like acting wise or thinking wise, but wisdom is not a feeling. It's a truth. And this understanding of what it means to speak graciously, grace is not, is not a feeling. It's given to you regardless of how you feel about it. And this command for God doesn't wait for you to feel good about it. God often comes in those moments you're not ready, and he calls you, and you have to figure out what he's talking about on the fly. So in this case, this love, it doesn't always feel right. These four steps might not always feel right. You might feel like doing something different. But the reality is truth is greater than a feeling. And these four things are true, regardless of how we might interpret them, how we might process them. Keep in mind, again, Paul is writing this letter from prison. He's shackled to a wall in the middle of a dungeon. He says at the end, remember me for my chains. But if you want proof that this love is actually living in you more than just your feeling, because you might not feel it, but this thing remains true regardless, he says in Colossians 2, uh, verses 10 through 13, it says, you've been filled in him you were also raised with him. You who were dead, God made you alive together with him. I don't know how you feel this morning, but those things are true, period. So you've already been through this with God, and God has been through this with you, and so the truth of his love exists in you, whether you're chained to a wall or chained to your addiction or lost somewhere in emotion, these things are true for you. Your reality check is this, God had Paul then, God has you now. And with that, that truth can cause you to want to be a part of all of these different things that God is calling into, this identity of Christian living, what it means to be Christ-centered, spirit-filled, gratitude forward, grace-driven, service-oriented, patiently waiting, diligently listening, com community-backed, ready to move. Again, if we go back to that song that, that I had talked about earlier, 
the bridge says, if you want my heart, I won't second guess because I need your love more than anything. I'm in, I'm yours, your love's too good to leave me here. And the reality is this, wherever your feeling is right now, wherever you think you are, wherever your relationship is with God, God is not intending to leave you where you were at. His love, that love that lives in you, is too good to leave you there. And if you're looking for an access point, your access point is this, it's worship. Worship is the most communal thing you can do. You're not doing it alone. You're doing it with God, the adoration, the confession, the thanksgiving, the supplication. You are doing that thing in community with the God who wants to be a part of the relationship that you're now stepping into. Worship is humanity's access point to truth and to peace and to grace. So as tough as it might be in the depression, in the helplessness, in the anxiety, in the fear, in the hurt, and in the pain, worship. To counter September 10th, on September 13th, just yesterday, the world celebrated Positive Thinking Day. And a quote that comes along with Positive Thinking Day comes from Bob Proctor, who says, people who accomplish great things are aware of the negative. However, they give all their mental energy to the positive to the thanksgiving, to the wise, to the wisdom, to the grace. It says, who am I to think that your glory needs my praises? But if this borrowed breath is yours, Lord, take it all. You are faithful, you are gracious, and I am just grateful to think that you don't need a single thing and you still want my heart. I was found before I was lost. I was yours before I was not. You wear the scars of all my mistakes. And I know I don't deserve this kind of love, but somehow this kind of love is who you are. And so if you forget anything else, remember this, God is love. And a quote I found says, where there is love, there is not too much trouble. And there's always time. So wherever you are, wherever you might be in the cycle of needing thanksgiving or being thankful, of needing wisdom or acting wisely, of speaking graciously or needing someone to speak grace to you, to be aware of God's command for your life or to give God's command to somebody else like Paul does at the end of his sermon. On this Sabbath day, this day set apart for us to experience the love of God and worship God in thanksgiving. Paul leaves you with this, very simply. Grace be with you.